You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been around for a very long time. They have literally thousands of retail stores all over the United States. So if you want to find out more information on their high quality batteries, and I'm talking from remote controls, trail cameras, uh, unique rare batteries to car batteries and everything in between stop in to one of their retail stores talk with a specialist or go to interstatebatteries.com to find out more information about the batteries that they offer company history and everything else you need to know about the company interstate batteries outrageously dependable All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Hopefully, everybody had a great Christmas. Hopefully, you have gotten <laughs> gotten your family time in. Hopefully, you didn't break the bank spending too much money on Christmas presents, uh, even though sometimes that's out of your control. Hopefully, you guys are excited to listen to this podcast because we got another good one. We're going to be talking with Chris Van Natta out of Oklahoma. And uh, you keep hearing Oklahoma come up in conversation. You keep hearing Oklahoma um, on this podcast, on social media. Oklahoma is kind of a cat out of the bag state. Something has happened over the last five, six, seven years that uh, these deer are getting big. And I'm not sure what it is. Uh, That's why I love talking to the locals and uh, finding out what is making this state carry so many giant deer. Uh, And not just like from antler size, but from an age class, right? We're talking about a a state that just seemed to come out of the woodwork recently. And... uh, And that's why I like talking to guys like Chris today on this uh, podcast. He's going to walk us through a booner he recently shot uh, in December earlier this uh, earlier this month. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the terrain that uh, these deer live in, uh, his strategy, the the 55 acres, basically 45 acres that uh, when it's all boiled down to where he was hunting and then uh, a kind of twist at the end of the entire story which led him to get access from the north side of uh, the property to get in and finally harvest a buck that he's been chasing since 2016. So a really awesome story. I love these stories. You know that when uh, you can get some history on a deer and uh, you know you play cat and mouse with them for a long time. Obviously there's some curveballs and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it, man. But before we get into this, I got to do a little bit of housekeeping. 
wherever you download the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, please go and leave a review. Uh, let everybody know what you think. Uh, if you think I'm a giant douchebag who doesn't deserve uh, a podcast, uh, don't don't do that. But if you're happy with uh, what I've you know what you're listening to every single week, every single you know I try to put out two a week. That's the goal, roughly. Sometimes you get three, sometimes you get two. But uh, you know, let everybody know what you think. Um, five stars would be awesome. If not, you know what is what it is. But uh, thank you very much for uh, following along. I love uh, that you guys are interested in this uh, from the number of downloads and following, you know, podcasts that I get. Um, I feel like I'm doing something right. So I'm going to continue to grind it out, keep doing what I'm doing, involving everybody that I possibly can. So if you have a really cool story, you know, don't hesitate to DM me. You know, and obviously I just now forgot to turn off my space heater, so you're going to get a little back noise, background noise here. But don't be afraid to hit me up, uh, Instagram or Facebook, send me a DM, tell me your story, and uh, man, I'll, I'll get you on the podcast so you can share it with the nation. And uh, other than that, man, Vortex Optics is the title sponsor, and today's commercial is with Lone Wolf. You guys, you guys know my love for Lone Wolf Tree Stands, man. Uh, they keep me mobile, and mobile is how I find success most of my years, right? Um, I'm bouncing around the timber looking for fresh sign, looking for good terrain, looking for food sources, looking for, um, you know, where the deer are at. And I'll tell you right now, the uh, being mobile and having good gear really, really, really plays a big role in the mobility and how I operate every single year. So, Lone Wolf Tree Stands is one of those key components, right? So uh, you need to go check out Lone Wolf Tree Stands, right? And uh, when you decide to purchase a Lone Wolf, I got a discount code here somewhere. Yeah. Enter the discount code 9FC50. 9FC50. And what that does is it gets you $50 off of all purchases over $200. Now that's a that's like over 20 that's like 20% that's a 20% discount roughly. And uh, that's going to get you $50 off of an assault or a alpha or a set of sticks, a set of uh, four, a set of four sticks. And uh, right there, that'll get you any in any tree you need to get in, it will get you anywhere you need to go easy to set up easy to tear down. So go check out lone wolf tree stands. Now, other than that, thank you very much. And oh, social. Be sure you guys are following along on social. Please go to Nine Finger Chronicles on both Instagram and Facebook. Also, Sportsman's Nation on Instagram and Facebook and follow along there. A lot of great content coming through there. I tell you what, I've I've really enjoyed from a Nine Finger Chronicle standpoint using the Instagram stories to kind of document a week or a day in the life of a stay-at-home dad who also runs a company on the side. So uh, I get a kick out of doing that. But thanks for listening. Thanks for following along. And now without further ado, we're going to get into this episode, this big buck episode, success story, whatever, with Nick Natta from Oklahoma. Mr. Chris Van Natta, how you doing, man? Nada, Van Nada. Good, sir. How are you? Van Nada, Nada. Dude, yep. and the, the crazy part is, we just discussed that before. This was literally the last thing I asked you, <laughs> and I still messed I've, it I've up. heard it my whole life. <laughs> I've heard it my whole life. It's no big deal. <laughs> Chris Van Nada, what's up, man? 
Doing good. How are you? Oh, you know, I can't complain. I, I'll i be honest, man. I'm just glad Christmas is over. I mean, I got one more Christmas left to do at my uh, dad's house. But uh, other than that, uh, I'm just glad it's over. Uh, I can, it's chaos this time of year, man. And I just want it. I just, I'm glad it's winding down and over. How about you? Yeah, we had awesome Christmas, uh, got all the junk home and just try to figure out where to put everything. So yeah, uh, that's on our agenda right now. So yes, I've got two, uh, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Oh man. So I take it the nine-year-old, if I had to guess, and I I don't have a nine-year-old yet, but my daughter's really close to turning seven, which that me just saying that blows my mind. Um, nine-year-old getting kind of out of toys and getting more into the electronic side of things. Absolutely. Um, and a little bit of preteen going on as well. So, uh, you know, might have a little bit of attitude and every (laughs) once in a while he he tries to pick on dad a little bit, but, um, you know, sometimes you just got to knock him down a little bit and say, (laughs) you're not quite there yet, but you want to step up and, and challenge the dominant buck? You you step right up, buddy, and I'll I'll kick you out. <laughs> no, they're they're great kids. They're very respectful and and they love the outdoors and awesome. And uh, just trying to get them involved as best I can. So, hey, man, that's we, a, we enjoy that. I so. cannot wait for that. I'm I'm starting to you know every year I'm starting to think a little bit more about how I'm going to get my my kids involved. You know to. You know, I'm a, I'm a deer hunter, I'm a bow hunter, and I want to get my kids out there to learn and enjoy. And I just, every year I keep thinking less about myself and more about ways that I can get them outside to, you know, to enjoy this with me, whether it's just going scouting or checking trail cameras or doing some shed hunting. Or, you know, I think my daughter's going to be old enough this year to where, you know, if I, if I take my lone wolf sticks and I stack maybe five, real like end to end to end she should be able to climb up that and uh, get and i'll hang another tree uh, stand up there and you know just kind of sit back and uh see what happens and i really think uh i could get her up there in a tree with me and once she gets in a tree and she can see a deer up close i think she'll lose her mind and i think it will be awesome absolutely we actually uh sat on the ground a few weeks ago in down in southeast oklahoma and had a bunch of pigs come in and we're on the ground and they got within 20 yards and and i think that kind (laughs) of scared him a little bit so make sure you do off the ground when they're young well i'm lucky and i wasn't too excited and i will we don't have any hogs right and uh yeah uh but i don't know man so you're from oklahoma then right yes sir born and raised man every every year gets better oklahoma cats out of the bag every year it just keeps getting better and better and better and um you guys need to put a lid on that before uh your ground prices skyrocket like iowa did and uh, next thing you know you're paying double of what you're currently paying for land out there yeah it'll be interesting to see you know our biologists do a great job out here um they've really uh, done a good job of trying to, to to manage our deer here better It'll be interesting to see the more popular it gets, how they change the regulations um, as far as the non-resident tags. Um, you know, I mentioned we we hunt in southeast Oklahoma as well, and there's a lot of leases down there, um, people coming in from out of state. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do and how they manage it. I know there's some uh, changes that might be taking place that they're discussing. So yeah, um, but yeah, they they seem to be doing a good job as far as managing the deer herd. Right. So uh, what part of Oklahoma do you live in and what do you do for a living? 
I live in Northeast Oklahoma. Um, and for a living, I'm an environmental consultant, uh, mainly on the has waste and spill response side. Um, I travel the country a lot. Um, so my hunting time is, you know, I love to hunt. I love to be outdoors, but it's pretty minimal, um, with all the travel going on. Yeah. Um, I'm a legitimate weekend warrior. So, um, just have to hunt when I can. Yeah. So you're on the road all, all week long and then you get back home and got to try to balance family and, and, and hunting. Right. Man. Absolutely. And fortunately I've got a, awesome wife that allows me to do that and kids that love outdoors as much as I do so yeah um but it doesn't always work out that way either there's some times where you know I've got to take a weekend off and and maybe try to go the next weekend yeah yeah does uh does for me where I'm at now in my life is just banking time and what I mean by that is I this year I don't even think I touch the timber until the 20th of October or something like that. I, I can't remember, but I, you know, I went on an elk hunt for one week that was planned, you know, no hunting in between, between my elk hunt and my South Dakota mule deer hunt, went to South Dakota for a week, then came home, didn't hardly do any hunting until it started getting good in late October. And, uh, then I hopped out and did my rut vacation for, you know, 13, 14 days. And then I was back home and it, all those were planned. And the, you know, the, Hey, Hey babe, I'm going to go head out tonight are kind of set aside these days because it's not planned. Uh, is that kind of how your life is right now? Or do you get out on a whim every once in a while still? No, absolutely. Um, you know, they're and the trips are sporadic, but yeah. I may land at Friday night at 10 PM and, and still have an hour drive home. And there's just no way I'm going to go hunt Saturday morning. Right. And, um, so I may go Saturday evening or, build up some points and maybe skip church on Sunday to, to go hunt and, and get outdoors. Yeah. Um, so it's it been fortunate really to try to pattern this buck as best we can, but you still just can't go out and hunt right? based on what you know. Sometimes it's, Hey, I've got a free evening to go hunt. I'm going to go sit in a stand somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And let me ask you this. Uh, you're gone a lot. And then when you do get out and you're able to get some tree stand time, I find myself feeling guilty uh, for being out there when I know my wife has had, you know, she's she's putting in work at home or, you know, she's got all three crazy kids while I'm out here kind of enjoying myself. Do you ever feel guilty when you're gone all week and then you get a crack at a, you know, an evening and then you're out hunting when you, you know, it's almost you feel maybe feel like you're you should be at home with the wife and kids? Absolutely. And, and the older my kids get, especially, um, because that, you know, just as well, that time slips by so fast. Right. And, um, I, you know, tree stand time is a time for, um, reflecting on everything. And then it, it kind of hits you hard. Like, man, I should, I should probably be at home. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got to fly out Sunday or Monday morning at 6am and I'm out here in a tree stand. Are you kidding me? I've got kids at home that need to be, you know, playing basketball with or, yeah or whatever and a wife that you need to hang out with so absolutely it, it definitely affects you and, and makes you think twice about it but yeah um again fortunately uh, my wife is for the most part on board with it and, and allows me that time to to get out because she also knows i get a little bit antsy when i uh you know <laughs> sit inside the house for too long 
that's a fact, man. That's a fact. All right, so uh, we all know that's a balancing act, but uh, today I want to talk about this uh, buck you killed. I want to talk about where you're hunting in uh, Oklahoma because um, I, I love getting messages from you guys. I mean, I get them every single day, multiple times a day. And, uh, I mean, I, I really wish I could have everybody on that uh, I do my best to try to get everybody on who sends me a picture, but, uh, I love these, uh, I love these messages that you guys send me. And, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this, this buck. Um, and I think the, the, the first thing that I want to talk to you uh, about is the farm that you hunt in, in respect to where you shot your buck off this year. And, uh, talk to me a little bit about the number of acres you have access to talk to me about the terrain, what the vegetation's like, all that stuff. Yeah. So this property is 55 acres. Uh, so not very large, but it is a place to hunt and, um, it's Creek bottom, um, pretty large Creek that runs right down the middle of it. So it, it kind of dips down into a bowl. Um, and You'll hear about later how that really affects the hunting um, just from the access purpose and access side of it. Um, It really does affect us. There's times that we can't even get in there. Um, For those of you that live in Oklahoma the last really five years, we've had so much rain and um, it keeps us from even going hunting. It floods us out. So um, it does play a big part in that access wise. um, There's some drainages off that creek. And we'll use waders to walk in and, and up and down the drainages just to, to try to sneak in. So I do love that part of it. That does help the access part. Um, but it's funny, this property, um, kind of have to backtrack a little bit to 2015. And my dad called me out of the blue and said, hey, um, I'm closing on this land, 55 acres out in the country. And for me to hear that coming from my dad, it, it was a shock. Um He's not very outdoorsy. Yeah. Uh, He's kind of a city boy, I guess you could say. And uh, when he called and told me that, I was like, do what? (laughs) So (laughs) he closed on that land in September of 2015. So right before the Oklahoma archery season started, October 1st. Yeah. And uh, it was just a big shock. And he, I think part of it was he wanted to get out of the city. Um, the other part was just kind of lost time. He wanted a place for his kids to come and, and hang out and, and grandkids to come hang out. And, and he knew that we loved outdoors. And, you know, he said basically everything on the other side of the creek is yours to play with. So go have fun, um, which was unbelievable. Right. So of, that's when he bought the property. Okay. So uh, 20, 2015, he buys the property out of the blue. Um, and it sounds like it was kind of a... Hey, you know what? I want to, I want a place to bring the family together. And, uh, that was, that was his reasoning. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. So do you have any brothers or sisters that hunt as well or brother-in-laws or anything like that? Yeah. So it's just, uh, myself and my youngest brother, um, you know, he loves outdoors as well. And, and we're, we're really into the management side of things. We love doing it. Um, my degree is actually in environmental conservation, and uh, just I just love being outdoors and doing what I can to to manipulate the ground that we have. Um, got another brother that's at Fort Drum right now, and, and he's about to go overseas, and uh, we wish he could be there with us. But uh, we still talk a lot, and and um, you know when he is home, every once in a while we'll go um, just you know explore outside yeah. out there and. and 
talking through everything. So, yeah, I've got uh, another brother that hunts with me. Uh, my dad does not hunt. He's not a not really an outdoorsman, like I said. So, really, this was a, a project for my brother and I uh, to kind of tackle and, and really kind of do what we want. Uh, again, my dad said, you know, across the creek, you guys can do what you want. Go have fun. Right. Now, how many acres is across the creek? Uh, I take it. Did he build a, a barn or a house out there? Yeah, there's a, a house on the on the west side of the creek, and uh, on the other side, there's probably oh, I would say forty five huntable acres. Okay, all right. So so ten acres again, is the acreage. Yeah, and then the rest is the the basically your hunting property. All right, so you bought you bought this farm, or your dad bought this farm. He said, you know, everything across the creek, do whatever you want to. Did you guys instantly? St- get out there, scout it, um, put ideas in your head about what you wanted to do as far as habitat work on the, on the property? Uh, yes and no. So the first year, again, he closed in September of 2015, and the bow season was coming up, and it was late September. So we uh, kind of rushed a few tree stands up, and, and I had some other properties that I could hunt. So I was like, well, we'll, we'll give this one a year and kind of see what's going on out there, and we'll hang a camera or two and that we have and um so that first year is really just observation i don't we didn't kill any deer off of it we didn't really see anything that we liked and uh um, hung a few cameras and then really built our game plan going into 2016 okay so what was the game plan then uh food plots habitat work get a feeder out there because you can have a feeder in oklahoma um what, what were you guys thinking you wanted to do so we started with a spring food plot, a um, uh, mix of uh, beans and, and clover um, in, in this one area. And, and we kind of, we painted it, this canvas, if you will, basically kind of how it's already set up. You know, there's already kind of an open field out back, um, you know, bordering us is cow pasture. So there's, we really thought if we could hold the deer on us, we should be pretty set. Um, so we made the interior as thick as we could and we went in and ditched, did some hinge cutting, um, and, and manipulated the timber in there. Now I will tell you, if we had our others, uh, we'd go back and we would do the hack and squirt over the hinge cutting. So that kind of left a little bit of a mess. And, uh, but we did that, we did the hinge cutting and really made it as thick as possible to, to try to keep these deer on the interior of our property. And we did the food plots on the outside edge. We did put a feeder up on the outside edge. And um, Dad ended up letting us do a food plot on his side of the creek. It was just a quarter acre and put a feeder there. And uh, that's where we would kill our does because um, we do like deer meat. And uh, so we would try to kill our does on the front side uh, of the property. And our buck hunting would be on the back side. Okay. And uh, once you- – was that a learning experience for you guys? I mean, had you ever put in food plots? Have you ever done habitat work at all? Or was this kind of, uh, well, here goes nothing. <laughs> it was very much a learning opportunity. I'd done some food plots in the past, but we didn't have equipment. So we had to rent equipment. We had to spend money. And when you rent equipment, you can't necessarily tie it to the rain. And yeah. you kind of plan it and hope that it rains soon enough. Um, so that was a learning curve that spring food plot with the beans got flooded out um we planted a little too early and you know around here um 
I know they like to plant the beans around June, but uh, I was just anxious and tried doing it in May. And well, of course it's going to rain in May. So <laughs> it flooded that out. <laughs> so we're like, well, we'll just leave it be and, and wait till fall gets here, fall of 2016. And we'll redo our food plots and, you know, rent equipment again and, and do our brush. Volume. So it, and we're still learning. Um, we're still manipulating food plots how we want and, and trying to get the layout how we want but i think the main thing was to make that interior as thick as possible and, and hold as many deer as we can and then just try to give them food on the outside edges yeah okay um and with with the habitat work did you guys throw trail cameras up in there to get a like a inventory of what was running around on the property and how they were actually using the property absolutely we I know you've mentioned it. We, we kind of do the July 4th tradition yeah. and that's when we put trail cameras out and, and we kind of get our inventory. And then Labor Day weekend, we always plan on renting a tractor and getting our work in there with the tractor time. And we'll get our cameras set up where we want them for the fall. And that includes going back in that bedding just one time, get that camera in there and leave that camera set all season. I mean, we don't even touch it during the season we will not go in there um and then we'll hang our cameras on the outside edge of that bedding all right so once you uh once you got those cameras up um what 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 did that first card pull look like for you guys (laughs) not quite as expected um again and and we're still learning this property and especially on a small acreage it's they're not going to have necessarily the the same patterns every single time or they're not it's kind of a weird property (laughs) and with the creek going through it and um you know the pressure from the neighboring sides i will mention that there is a lot of pressure uh, from the neighbors and it's it's a complete northeast oklahoma property with neighboring tree stands you know on the other side of the fence line it's you know it's not like um you know, no pressure from the neighbors or anything. It's heavily pressured. And that's, again, that's why we made it as thick as we could to try to keep those deer on us. Um, so the first card pool was a little sporadic. Gotcha. Um, it wasn't until mid-October when we first got that picture. Um, we're like, okay, we, we've got a decent buck out here and, um, you know, at least something to hunt. Right. And it was that this year you got that that picture in october or was that a couple years ago that was a few years back that okay. was in 2016 when we got that first first image all right first image and was it the buck that you ended up shooting or was it yeah uh, okay so the the history goes back to 2016 yes sir okay all right so you know once you know but there, there's three years there roughly of uh-huh. of uh, there's a, a three-year time frame from the time that you guys started really working on the property to today. How over time did that habitat work, those food plots affect the deer herd on your property? Did it have a positive impact and keep them on and, um, and keep deer coming to the property or did nothing change? It certainly had a positive impact and, uh, you know, minus the flooding that went on that, that did affect us, but yeah we finally got to know a few of our neighbors and we would discuss back and forth. Of course, I never really said anything about this big deer. Um, 
but we would just talk, you know, what are you seeing? What, and there'd be times where they're like, we're just not seeing, seeing much, you know, maybe a deer here or there. And we'd be like, well, I, you know, I've seen six or seven on this, you know, back 40 essentially, um, you know, per sit. So, and over the years doing some scouting and everything, and and they've allowed us to go in and shed hunt and turkey hunt. And I really do feel like we have the thickest part of the area, um, for close to that mile section. And I think that helps tremendously, right? giving them good escape cover, especially when there's pressure on the neighboring properties. And as I mentioned before, we don't hunt that that interior. We stay out. Okay. So you, you've created a basically a safe haven that you go in maybe mm-hmm. once or twice a year to uh, check trail cameras after the season's over and uh, right. maybe do a little shed hunting in there. But uh, other than that, it's yep. a it's a no-go um, it's kind of a sanctuary, so to, so to say. And, um, now kind of talking about the neighboring farms just a bit, do they have any cover in, in their little areas that they have, uh, or is the reason your farm is so good is because it is the bedding area for the neighboring, uh, areas as well. Neighboring farms. The neighboring areas are, are pretty wide open. Okay. And again, so you've got this creek that runs north and south. There's, so there's going to be timber that runs north and south along this creek. Yep. Um, and once you get outside of that bowl, it turns into cow pasture. You know, they run cattle. That's their, their main operation. And um, while they do deer hunt, they don't manage for deer hunting. And I think that's the big difference is we manage for deer hunting. We don't have cattle. It's obviously small acreage. Um, but, but that's what we do is it's strictly for deer hunting. And I've been up and down that Creek shed hunting and and everything. And, and again, we have the thickest part of that area. And I think that keeps the deer from extending out too terribly far. Um, you know, and you kind of look over, they've got tree stands out in the pasture, hoping to get them cutting across the field. And and they're just not going to do that. Those big mature deer. Right. They aren't going to do that. Right. All right. So this, uh, this crick that runs through the property, uh, it, that to me sounds like it is the dominant feature on the property. So you mentioned the flooding, uh, when there's a lot of rain, does that cut off a majority of the property for you, uh, to the point where you, it's uncrossable at times? Cause I have a, I have a couple properties that I hunt where you know, I can cross the creek in certain spots, uh, maybe get up to my knees. If I have my hip waders on, I feel I would feel comfortable crossing, but if it gets any higher and I put chest waders on it, almost the current's too fast and it, it just, it's a little scary. So is that crick a, almost like a, if it's too high, there's not even a chance we can get across it. Yeah, it's exactly like you're describing, Dan. It, it is the main feature. Um, it can get really deep and, and, you know, I will wear waders, waders to cross it, but if that current's going too fast, I just, I don't even risk it. And, um, it does cut us off from, from the hunting side of the property. Now we do have that front food plot that we usually shoot our does from. And, you know, if you want to go get a doe, you can, you can hunt it. Um, but other than that, you know, I'll just go to public land or, or, um, you know, go somewhere else if, if we've had a lot of rain and, and I'll go to, to Southeast Oklahoma for the weekend or something to go hunt. Gotcha. Okay. 
So the uh, the crick dictates uh, where you hunt and if the deer are on it. So if the if the crick's too high, does that just destroy the bedding area then as well? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out is how long do they stay there? Um, you know, I've I've been duck hunting and you know flooded timber and jumped deer. Um, so that's what we are trying to figure out. I do think if it's um, there for a long time that it will push them out. Um, and, and that came into play actually this, this summer, this past summer, it, it flooded out big time. And I was nervous as could be that, um, this deer would not be back. And, uh, fortunately he did come back. So, um, I don't feel like we had a big flood in, uh, May and it seemed like, um, a lot of the deer moved out. I noticed less fawns this year, and I'm wondering if some of them got uh, killed in the flood. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah, it, we've tried to lay off the does this year as best we can, and hopefully the neighbors did too. Um, but I think it, it greatly affected the deer herd this year. Man. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, especially when you're trying to, uh, um, you know, you, you put all the work in. Uh, you put all the energy into, you know, creating the habitat for them. And then when the, uh, you know, when the, uh, when mother nature says, I'm going to, I'm going to screw things up. There's nothing you can do about that. Right, man. Well, so this year, um, uh, so wait, let's backtrack to 2016. You got a picture of this buck who you identified. Was he a, was he a shooter right off the bat for you guys in 2016? Or, um, did, uh, you just kind of say, well, he's cool to look at, but he's probably not a shooter. How, what was your determination back then? Well, in 2016, in my opinion, he was, I know he wasn't very large antler wise. Um, so my goal is three and a half years or older. And, um, for my brother and I, that's, that's pretty good, um, range to try to hunt, uh, especially where we're at, uh, in Northeast Oklahoma. Um, so yeah, in 2016, um, I would have shot him for sure had I seen him. Um, and I know my brother would have too, but fortunately, uh, it didn't play out that way. So, um, he made it to, to live another day. So that gotcha. worked out good. Yeah. So what about, uh, 2017, uh, or 2018, any, uh, any inter- encounters with him? Did he blow up in any of those years? Uh, I mean, did, did the flooding affect the property and he kind of disappear for a while? Yeah. So interestingly enough, that's, uh, we named him Chupacabra because we could not lay eyes on him yeah. and which again, that's a hard feat to do on, on 55 acres, uh, you know, 45 of which is huntable. Um, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it'd be tough to, so we came up with the name Chupacabra because we had all these trail camera pictures mainly at night and we could not see him. And going back to 16 a little bit, um, I never saw him. Um, however, my brother, um, he should have hunted, I think is the Sunday of, of rifle season, the first Sunday. Uh, but he slept in. And lo and behold, we pulled a camera, and sure enough, he was right there, <laughs> right in the middle of the food plot with a doe. And uh, luckily, my brother slept in; otherwise, he would have shot him uh, as a, you know, what we think is a three and a half year old deer. Oh man! So, um, not a whole lot happened in sixteen. Uh, you know, we had a few pictures of him here and there. 
moving on to 17, we're like, okay, we'll keep an eye on him. You know, he's three and a half years old. He'll be four and a half. Let's see what he blows up into. And um, same thing, July 4th tradition, we put cameras out, and he shows up in September after he shed his velvet. He dispersed onto our property. And he blew up in a really nice uh, mainframe eight-pointer. And But I mentioned the sanctuary, and we stay out of it. You know, we get everything set, we stay out. And I pull the card, and we have this random guy, um, not a hunter, not he was just walking through the property. And um, I'm not sure what was going on, but he walked right through the sanctuary. And what? I'm like, well, let's see how this affects you know, everything. And he kind of held the same pattern the deer did, Chupacabra did. And um, the pattern was is he would show up mid-October um, at night and kind of come into the food plot at night. And then uh, mid to late November, he would go daylight maybe three times. So um, he kind of held that pattern, which we're still trying to figure him out. And we can only put as many hours in as we can. Um, and we, we just did not connect. Um, you know, it's the same, same story you hear all the time, either, you know, wrong stand on the right day or, or wrong day in the right stand. And that's how 2017 played out. I missed him by a day in 2017. Um, I hunted the backside of a cold front and he moved on the front side of this cold front. Um, so again, 2017, no, uh, encounters in person, man. I tell you what, that, that was, uh, even though I, you know, I had a successful season and I ended up shooting a buck this year, um, this past weekend, uh, I actually checked my trail cameras and it, the deer were opposite of where I was at the entire, like my hit listers were w- the opposite side of the farm or of the area that I was hunting. I was like, they would show up on trail camera three, 400 yards away. Uh, and I'd never see them, but they were there. Right. And then I would go, I'd go hunt over there. And then the cameras that I would, I checked, uh, like they, you know, or that, that I was near then, uh, they showed up there. So I was just like, Oh my God. And I mean, there was one where I missed him. I missed him by an hour. I mean, it was, he, he came through at dark, but I was in the tree stand, um, an hour before he came through so this this whole cat and mouse you know this uh you know putting and i almost feel like i should have checked my trail cameras more and that would have allowed me to get better intel on them um did you ever second guess this hey we're not going into the sanctuary to check trail cameras at all or did you hold steadfast to that it's funny you mentioned that um that was our whole mindset in 16 and 17. We're going to do this by the book. We are not going in that sanctuary. We're staying out. We're hunting the wind smart. And after two years of chasing him, it was like, we've got to change things up. We're on the small acreage. Um, the neighbors are going to get him. We need to get him. And we kind of threw all that out the window. We, in 2018, we're going to be more aggressive. Um, not saying necessarily hunt the wrong wind, but hunt – uh, close to a wrong wind, if that makes sense. Be more aggressive. Uh, push it a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You know, we, we stayed out as best we could, but um, 2018, we're going to be aggressive, and that's what we did. Right. So how, how did your access routes then work uh, t- to some of these tree stands 
locations that you wanted to be a little bit more aggressive with. Uh, and the reason I ask is because I am a huge, I, I guess I get real anal about my access routes, right? So that when I'm in mm-hmm. the tree stand, my wind is right, but I, I will sacrifice an access route. Um, I will sacrifice an entry and exit route with my wind, let's say, to get to a good location that when I'm in the tree, I'm, I'm almost, you know, I'm almost perfect, right? How did your access routes work with A, you having to cross a creek and B, um, you know, did you, did you have access to more than one side of the property than just uh, where the house was at? No, we had to come in from the west side every single time. Every single and that time. really affected it. Really affected us. Um, you know, again, the neighbors on all sides hunt, and you know, we could go knock on the door and ask for permission to access that way. And chances are, they would probably say no. Um, now, is that something I should probably do? Yeah, I just I haven't messed with it because I know they hunt. So, right. you know, I don't really want to mess with with their hunting. Um, and I didn't want to give anything away either. You know, why, why are you wanting to access on our side of the property? Or, right. Well, cause I'm chasing a big deer. I'm not going to do that. So, um, yeah, every time we got access from the West and so our sanctuary, we've got a main trail and this sanctuary is probably five acres and we've got a main trail that goes all the way around the edge of it. And on each side you have a Creek. Well, on the South side is a Creek and on the North side is a Creek drainage. And so, you know, on a south wind, we would come in on the north side, we'd cross the creek and we'd walk that drainage in with waders, or if the water was low, we could wear boots in. Um, And we could sneak in there pretty much undetected. Um, So really access wise, we didn't push it much access wise. What we did do is push it wind wise. Whereas even on a north wind, Sometimes I would push that bedding. I would still go hunt on the north side a little bit and try to catch the edge of it um, to where the wind would push it just over the edge of the bedding, not directly into it, and um, see if I could get him to slip up. Okay. So when you first started to make those changes, the changes to the access route and the changes to the, the tree stand location to really be more aggressive, did you see any results out of that aggressive move? No, the only thing I did see, uh, not from that specific buck, the only thing I did see is that, you know, I can get away with a lot more than what I had been doing. Right. Um, I passed up, you know, 115, 120 inch bucks right underneath my stand and, and pushing does in that bedding area. And you really learned that that bedding area is doing what we planned to do. We were We were way too conservative with it. And really getting in there on it during the rut, um, getting in as tight as we can. And we kind of saw it all play out. Like we did a good job with this and it's doing what we intended it to do. So maybe one of these days, uh, Chupa will slip up and, and we can get to him. Right. Um, and I say that, you know, 2018, he totally changed his pattern on us. Um, I thought I had him locked down in 2018. Uh, again, he'd show up mid to late October at night and as the rut drew near um he would get in there and lock on with some does and he'd go daylight maybe you know three days in 2018 uh, he summered on us yeah which was different I sent you that velvet picture yep. and um 
I'm thinking, well, what's he going to do when he sheds velvet? Is he going to disperse or, or stay honest? And he dispersed in 2018 on September 11th. That's the last image we have of him in 2018. Oh, really? And he did not re. Yeah, he did not reappear until December 12th of 2018. So, he what was he doing in 2017 during the rut? Was he cruising uh, nocturnally through there every once in a while, or was he on camera a lot, or um, or was he just sporadic in 2017? He was. He was on camera a decent amount and mainly on us. But again, he would go daylight maybe three times out of the year. And, you know, I would just miss him either by a day or, or sit in the wrong stand. Yeah. Um, so 16 and 17, he was on us a lot. And then 18, for whatever reason, he totally switched everything up, threw me a curveball. And I was just kind of baffled, you know. And, uh, you know, four or five-year-old deer, and then he just totally switched it up. Why did he switch it up? What happened? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know? That's crazy, man. I've, I got, I have deer do that every single year where you think you got, you got them pegged, and then they're just like, adios, dude. You're not going to kill me, you know? Yeah. And then they don't show up. Yep. So a lot of things come into my mind when a buck disappears, right? We have um, different food options somewhere else. Maybe someone had a feeder closer to his core range. Um, Maybe Mm -hmm. there was a a significant um, pressure from your property. Uh, Did did you guys do any like tree stand maintenance or uh, go in there and do some big habitat work or build a barn or anything like that on the property? Yeah, a couple different things that I think may have led to this, and I could be totally wrong. Um, A day or two before archery season opened, again, we had trespassers. We had people running dogs through our property, uh, right through the sanctuary. We have them on camera. Can't identify them, unfortunately, um, but they ran right through the property. And this was a couple days before October 1st. Yeah. So that could have led to it. That could have pushed him out. And if it did, I don't know where he went or or how long he would stay out. Um, Another thing is we were a little bit more aggressive, even checking trail cameras leading up to October 1st, meaning we would ride our side-by-side in and uh, pull cards um, up until a few days before season started. Whereas before, come labor day weekend we would stay out after labor day weekend we would not go in there and i think maybe it's a combination of those that just pushed him on out and but when you've hunted him for two years and and you're like well let's let's try this a little bit different and, and see what we can get away with and i don't think it worked yeah so the the preseason uh pressure potentially pushed him off uh, is was what that could could have been a uh, a, a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he disappears for the entire uh, you know for the entire rut basically down there. Yeah. Did you have any other mature bucks in there that seemed like they could have competed with him for dominance that maybe pushed him off? In my opinion, no. Okay. Um, just, and I know it's not all about antler size when it comes to, to dominance. Um, but to me, he was just so much bigger body-wise as well than the, the other bucks in the area. 
there was one other deer in there that was probably 130 to 140 inch deer in 2018, but he still wasn't as big body wise right. as Chupa was. Right. And I'm not saying it can't happen, but I just, I didn't feel like that was the case. I right. felt like he, he's the dominant one. And I think he just made a decision to go elsewhere once we kind of pressured the property. Right. So he, he goes missing. What was your thought, you know, as, as uh, archery season starts keeps going the ruts here no trail camera pictures of him no sighting did you think the neighbor shot him did you think he died i mean of disease what was running through your head yeah i thought he was dead um i would cringe with every gunshot i heard and uh, you know i just knew that that we had missed out on him yeah and but you still have to hunt and, and yeah. It's one of the few properties that I can hunt, and with time limited, you, you still go hunt, and you still hope for the best, and, you know, with every card pull, you you hope that he shows back up again, and um, when we pulled that card and saw him on December 12th, my first thought was, thank God he's still alive, but why in the heck did he disappear for so long? Yeah. And even past that, he disappeared again and didn't show back up till after season in late January. So he came through one time in December. You got some pics of him. And then mm-hmm. again, after the season was already over. Yep. Okay. So when then was the next trail camera picture that you had of him uh, in, I guess, 2019? Um, so, again, he was late January. We had several pictures and video of him. And that's when we um, really pour the feet on to get him through the winter time and make sure that they're healthy and and try to get a late season inventory. And uh, so I think the last picture was January 23rd, maybe, or maybe it was 31st, somewhere in there that week. And I don't remember if we pulled cameras shortly after that or not. Um, But we had a game plan to to go shed hunt um, and, and really do it this time. So springtime gets real busy with kids and sports and baseball and competitive baseball. And, and we always say we're going to shed hunt, but you know, it kind of falls by the wayside. And um, I coach my son's baseball team. So that just takes up a lot of time. And this year um, I've got a good friend out in Oklahoma city. And uh, he said, Chris, I'm driving up there and we're going to go shed hunt. We're going to go find his sheds. I said, all right, you know, <laughs> let's go do this. And so, again, we kind of pick a weekend in March, and um, we go in with a game plan that we're going to find these sheds. And I've talked to the neighbors and got permission to shed hunt. And um, so we've got a lot of uh, a lot of creek and ground to cover. And um, he shows up, and we get a lot of rain, and it floods everything out again. Oh, man. And the creeks are up to their banks. They're not over yet, but they're up to their banks. And uh, Jason said, no, we're going to find these sheds. And so we take our waders and everything, and uh, we probably put on six miles just to get to my dad's property. Uh, I, I kid you not. We had to go up north. We'd follow the creek way up north. We'd find where a tree was across it, then we'd cross it. We'd come back down, and there were several drainages we had to figure out how to cross to where we finally got to our sanctuary. Um, and we get in the sanctuary, and I say, I told my brother, I said, why don't you walk the main trail? 
you know, a lot of times I've seen it where they'll just shed it on the main trail. They use that access to, and we're going to go right through the bedding, me and Jason are. And it wasn't probably 20 or 30 minutes later, I hear my brother screaming. And I thought <laughs> he was, I thought he was hurt or something. And so I go running over there and he found both of the sheds and they were not 10, 15 yards apart. Um, and he was crisscrossing the main trail coming out of our bedding area that, that we had manipulated. And, um, we just could not believe it. We, we set in on this mission and, you know, everything flooded and we were still able to get in and, and come across these sheds. So that was a pretty awesome experience. Um, we scored the sheds. Uh, we guesstimated an inside spread of 17 and a half. And I think the shed scored uh, gross was around 168, maybe, um, maybe a little bit less than that if I remember right. But so 160 with the spread, you estimate. Yeah, the with the guesstimation on the spread. Yeah. Wow. So yep. did then he blow up in 2019? Because the picture that you sent me looks like his spread is way wider than 17 inches. Yeah, so his spread uh, officially, I believe, was actually seventeen and five eighths. So, oh, really? Okay. Um, he did. He he lost some kickers. All right. Gotcha. So that's when you get into the measurements with the gross and all that. He did lose some kickers um, for twenty nineteen, uh, but his spread stayed the same. He lost some kickers, but he gained on time length and uh, a little bit on mass as well. Cool. Cool, man. That's so awesome. I tell you what, I, I say this all the time. People are probably sick of me hearing it, but I love shed hunting. I, uh, I don't know what it is really. I mean, I could sit here and try to explain it to you, but, uh, it would fall short. I just love walking around looking for deer antlers, uh, straight up. And, uh, um, I know exactly what I would do if I found a giant match set like that. I'd scream like a little girl. I, I remember the uh, <laughs> the best shed hunting day I've ever had. I found three antlers. Uh, one was like this high 60-inch side, uh, and then I found my biggest match set ever. And I was just walking around the timber like, oh, my God, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even believe what I'm, what I'm finding today. And the cool thing about this was it was in an area similar to what you're talking about where uh, the water came up, it froze, and then it, thaw, and then it thawed out, and then everything in the timber was flat. I mean, right along the, uh, the river was flat because that ice had sat on top of that, just flattened everything out. Then the thaw happened. Then the deer moved back in right before they started shedding because there was a cornfield right next to it. And those antlers just stood out in there like beacons, mm -hmm. basically. So um, with him, with you finding that, uh, with your brother finding that uh, that set, did you guys find any other antlers uh, while you were shed hunting that day? Yeah, we did. We found, um, well, before that, we found a matching set of an eight-pointer that, you know, he'd score probably around 110 or so, 115. Yeah. And then when we found Chupa's sheds, it was kind of like mission accomplished. Yeah. You know, let's go home. It's We've <laughs> we've hiked a long ways. We've, we've put in the work let's figure out how to get back across all these creeks and get home. Yeah. And, and it, it was definitely kind of a, a risky situation, but uh, we were pretty gung ho about it and, and we wanted to accomplish this. And fortunately we did. And, and kind of same thing it, in the past, I found them a lot on, on fence jumps, 
and um, you know, kind of the thickest areas of the woods and the thickest and the briar thickets. That seems to be where um, I found a lot of sheds. Yeah. All right. So you guys uh, find a sheds. Did finding those sheds mean anything? And what I mean by that was, did it did it allow you to make a decision? or change your strategy based off of where you found those antlers? Yes, from the stance that it reassured that what we were doing was doing good okay. with our habitat management. And again, with small acreage, it's not like you can move too many stands around. Right. It, it, the way it hunts is, is really small, and it's hard to fit even two people on it. And, uh, but it really reassured that what we were doing was good and, um, it made us feel a lot better that, you know, perhaps he's sticking in here more than what we think he is. Yep. You know, we did move some trail cameras around, um, based on where we found them. We found them on a, a trail that, you know, we did not suspect. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it really kind of gave us some reassurance. Okay, cool. All right. So you find his sheds, um, summer 2019 trail camera picks of him nope so this is where um i really started beating my head against the wall uh, mother nature came into play again and we probably had the worst the worst flooding we've seen out there since my dad bought the property and um really the worst flooding i even at at my house where i live yeah uh, had some extreme flooding going on um and, and tulsa had uh, you know the worst flood they've had in years. Um, and, uh, you know, part of Tulsa flooded and, uh, so everything just flooded out and we didn't even get in there, uh, until a little bit later in the summer and, uh, kind of assess the situation and put cameras up and we did not get any velvet pictures of him. And, uh, finally we got some pictures of him on September 17th, already hard horned. Okay. Um, so he had moved in on us after he had, shed velvet and there's one little instance here too that i think uh, tremendously helped us this year is we bought two cell cameras okay and we put those out so he would trigger that cell camera and you know we'd catch it and all right so he's there um you know let's figure out how to how to hunt him now so cell cams did that directly impact the decision making that you made when you hunted in there uh, it did. Okay. And, you know, to some people that may cheapen it a little bit. In my opinion, um, it did not because I travel so much. I'm away from home. I'm away from the woods. You know, I've got a 40 minute drive just to get to this place to hunt. And uh, kind of the same thing when you're sitting there on a weekend debating on if you're wasting time away from your family, you know, at least I have a little bit better insurance you know, that maybe I do have a shot to see him out here. Yeah, that makes a real good point. Uh, And I'll tell you what, I I used to have mixed feelings on um, trail cameras uh, or uh, uh, cell cams. Like, oh, there's a buck Mm -hmm. out here. He's on my, he's one of my target bucks. I'm going to make a move right now. But the more I think about it, the more I say, well, I can go and I can maybe see a deer. You know, or, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, cell cam picks, they're still not, it's, it's not a guarantee. It's not a slam dunk. All you know is you have a little bit, right. uh, um, more information, current information about what's going on in your property. And the more I think about it, um, 
I used to think, man, you know, those cell cams, it's almost like cheating, whatever. But now, just like what you said, it allows me to make better decisions on when to go hunting and spend more time right. with the family and basically save those brownie points. So, you know, I, I know right. that I'm, I'm, I'm saving my time and I'm taking care of business at home before the rut happens. You know what I mean? Well, and it's not like he's going to trigger a, a camera and I'm going to immediately go out there to the woods and shoot. Mm-hmm. It's not how it works. And, yeah. um, you know, again, with, with so much time spent away from home and family as it is that, you know, I love them and yeah. it helps me make better decisions on when and where I'm going to hunt. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, um, you started throwing some trail, cam- uh, some cell cams out. What did that help you find out about this buck's movement? Uh, did, was he still nocturnal a lot or did you get a clue that's like, Hey man, he's moving a lot more in daylight than what we thought. Well, originally I had this cell camera. Uh, we put in a hidey hole food plot, just a maybe eighth acre food plot that we could hunt on the northwest wind. And it was tucked into that bedding as, as close as we could get. And that's where I originally hung the camera. And that's where he triggered it in September 17th. And he was hitting that until about October 1st. And it was all, um, well, that September 17th picture was daylight. But obviously it's not deer season yet. And by the time October 1st came around, he was hitting it at night. Um, but interestingly enough, um, after a few card pulls, we come to realize that he's hitting the north side of the bedding even more frequently. We had another camera over there that's not a cell camera. And uh, we pulled the cards and was like, you know what? I'm going to move my cell camera over here on the scrape that he's been working and, and just kind of see what happens. Um, so that was my first move. And we moved it by the scrape. We had a, a tree stand already sitting there. And um, he started hitting at daylight. Yeah. And I think as he got older, I don't know, maybe you have more experience with this. They just kind of start losing their mind, maybe. Um, <laughs> he was doing some things that <laughs> he had never done before. And I was like, why is this deer daylight at the first part of October? Yeah. And... um even before I moved the cell camera there, I, you know, I'm an opportunistic hunter. I hunt the cold fronts, you know, that's when I try to, to save my vacation time for, if I know a cold front's coming, you know, I'll call in sick and, and try to go hunt. And, um, I planned on hunting October 11th, which was a Friday and there's a cold front coming. And, um, my son had an assembly at school and he was getting recognized and I said, well, I'll go to the assembly and um i'll just hunt the afternoon and i get in there and i again i hunt the wrong stand and you know a week or two later after pulling cards come to find out he had triggered the camera at this other stand that that morning you know and, and had i gone in there that morning like i had kind of hoped to do that i would have had a shot at him yeah but obviously kids are more important you know and um i don't regret going to that assembly at all and uh it, it was just Again, it was going back to why is he daylight in early October? He's never done that before. And um, so I knew at this moment it's got to happen this year. Um, We've got to kill him because he could very well end up dying on a neighboring property. Yeah. All right. So he's he's active on your farm. Uh, You're feeling good about it. Um, What day did you actually kill him? What was the date? I killed him. 
I killed him on December 17th. December? Um, of an evening. Yeah. December I didn't kill him until, until December. Okay. Yeah. So for yeah. for a second there, I thought we were getting ready to hit the climax of the story. And <laughs> you were like, oh, oh no. man, it, I, w- I got close. And, and here's the move and boom. So what happened it, it, the rest of October and November uh, where – did you have any encounters? Did he disappear again? Like what happened? It, it gets better, Dan. Um, so that first weekend of deer season, come to find out there's a ranch that's north of us and the ranch hand was leaving and he was the one that deer hunted and, and we were good friends and I never asked him to deer hunt. I, I respected, you know, that that was his place to hunt. And uh, I was talking to dad and I said, I've got to go talk to that landowner like now. I, we've got to, if we don't do this and someone else will. And dad's like, all right, no, just whatever. And, you know, I'm dressed in camo. I just got done hunting, which when I go knock on doors, I like to at least look somewhat presentable. Yeah. And, um, we're, we're driving out of the driveway and dad was in front of me. He was headed to town and the landowner happened to drive by feeding cattle. And, uh, so dad stops him and dad had already talked to him several times and knew him real well. And, uh, I said, Hey, I said, um, do you care if, if my brother and I can hunt your property? And uh, he said, yeah, <laughs> just that easy. Boom. And so that, <laughs> that freed up the property north of us, which was 800 acres, um, most of it cattle. Eight, did you say eight and a half? 800. Oh, 800. Okay. I thought, I thought it was like, yeah. man, what kind of operation runs cattle on eight acres? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> But again, most of it is cattle pasture, and but along the creek, there's a couple hundred acres of timber, and it just gives us a little bit more um, room to roam, and when the conditions aren't 100% right to, to go in on our property, we can go up north. And um, so he gave us permission, and again, archery season had already started, and so we weren't going to go in there and bust everything up and scout and all that. We were going to hunt from the outside in, and, and we did have some experience from shed hunting, kind of the layout of the land. And it wasn't much different than my dad's, just not as thick. And uh, so we did put a few cameras up. And we did notice that um, Chupa, Chupacabra, he was making the pattern up and down the creek, which we always knew. You know, I keep him on 55 acres. He's going to go somewhere. Um, but it just kind of tied into our game plan a little bit, the pattern, and he was going north and then south and then north and then south on us. And, and as the rut drew near, that's what he was doing. And so we just had to figure out how to get on this pattern somehow. So my rutcation is this year was the first part of November and I wanted to do it a little bit later, but just, you know, plans, you know, kind of got in the way. And so I did it first part of November. And I said, on my dad's property, I'm going to set this stand every single day, regardless. And at this point, I'd already moved my cell camera over there. And um, he was kind of working that loop pattern. And I sat there for four days and didn't see much of anything. Definitely didn't see him. And uh, I said, you know what? It's day five. I'm going to grab my lone wolf and go make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I go up north on the property, on the other property, and lo and behold, he triggers my cell camera down south <laughs> on day five. And I was just sick to my stomach. I, and even my wife was, you know, Chris, I told you, sit there every day. And I said, well, you don't understand looking at the same tree for 
eight days in a row, it, it messes with you. I love and, it. Uh, uh, not to interrupt, but I love it when uh, my wife's like, well, why didn't you just do this? I'm just like, you don't get it. <laughs> right. right. Oh, it's funny. So that was November, I believe, 6th. And um, then again, Mother Nature hits and floods us out. Man. And yeah. And there's, there's just nothing you can do about it. You, you know, we luckily now we had some more acreage to hunt, but the side that he was hitting on, you, you couldn't access it. And, um, so I kind of hunted some other areas, you know, we had Oklahoma rifle season and, and we went to Southeast Oklahoma with my kids and just enjoyed some downtime with them and taking them hunting and, uh, just trying to kind of get my mind off it a little bit. Cause yeah. there's really, again, there's nothing you can do as much as you want you can't go in there yeah and uh we did not get a picture of him for a while and then um december 8th which was a sunday i believe uh, the last uh day for rifle season in oklahoma and uh, i had a office work party the night before and i told the guys you know hey i'm, I'm gonna call it a night i've got one more day left i'm gonna go hunt and uh, i went up to the north property and um just kind of, you know, sitting on the ground, nothing, just going for fun, basically. It's the last day, and um, I've got my rifle, and um, I end up seeing him. And it's funny because I wasn't expecting it. And we haven't seen him since we've been hunting in person. I mean, for the last three and a half years, we've never seen him in person. We get all these trail camera pictures mainly at night uh, until this year, and we, we finally just now see him in person. But the shot was too thick. It was like, you know, 125 yards down into the woods. And I was kind of up on a, up on the bowl a little bit. And he was on a mission. He was just walking through and, um, I just could not get a shot off and, um, didn't know what he was doing, you know, yeah. but I was happy that I saw him. And, um, so that got me a little bit more excited for the closing day of rifle. So at least he's made it this far. A little reassurance, a little reassurance, right? Right. Right. And, you know, part of it is that I'm glad I didn't shoot him with a gun. Uh, it, to me, it was going to be important to get him with a bow. I'm a bow hunter at heart, and um, I wanted it to, to end with a bow and arrow in my hand. Yeah. All right. So rifle season's over. He makes it through. What uh, and what what date was that? That was December 8th. December, so December 8th. A little over a, yeah, a little over a week before I shot him. Okay. All right. So... Uh, didn't then once gun season was over, did you jump right back into the, uh, into the property with your bow or did you, uh, give the property some time, uh, before you headed back out and, and, uh, you know, got the job done? Well, as bad as I wanted to go back out there, um, you know, you still have a job to do and, and wife and kids to take care of. So, um, I had some work going on. I, I had a trip coming up and I, I kind of felt like I needed to be in the office and, and kind of get prepared for that and, um, you know, make sure that my work is done and done correctly so I could go have fun later. And, um, so I actually did not hunt that week as bad as I wanted to and as much as it killed me. And, uh, I go on this trip and come back and I don't even, I don't recall. I don't think I hunted that weekend either. I think we just had too much stuff going on, uh, getting ready for Christmas yeah. and Monday evening on December 16th, 
he triggered my cell camera back at um, my dad's property working a scrape and he had a doe with him and so immediately i'm thinking all right he's locked down with the doe and he's in that bedding area and they're bedded there somewhere and you know the drill with with your wife and kids it it's not just you can't just go out and hunt when you want to you've got to make plans yeah so i texted my wife and i sent her that picture and she said he's beautiful i said i know i said i'm hunting tomorrow right and to my surprise she said yeah i talked to my mom and and she's gonna watch the kids and um yeah you should be good to go and i couldn't believe it (laughs) so i make plans for tuesday evening to go hunt the scrape and um it's kind of weird. A couple of buddies of mine, my brother and my brother-in-law, and they said, call me if you're shooting. And I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, we'll see, but okay. Yeah, sure. And my coworker said that as well. And, um, so I'm like, well, I do have a good feeling. Maybe it will happen. And I go in there and the whole day I kind of struggled. I took the day off and got my kids ready for school and, you know, one kid forgot his lunch, lunch pail. So I had to run back up to the school and, <laughs> and take care of that. And, uh, didn't get all the emails knocked out that I wanted to and, and the work done. And so you kind of, again, you have that guiltiness of, well, I should just stay home and work. And I just remember my coworker and saying, no, go hunt. If you don't go kill that deer, then don't even show up to work the next day. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I go out and just a couple things that came into play, you know, I debated on, do I want to wear these stupid waders in again or just take the shortcut, you know? And I was like, no, I can't take the shortcut because they could be betting right there off that main trail. You've got to go get a creek access. So I wear my waders in and, and uh, you know, I, I'm wearing a different safety harness because it made less noise, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, this tree stands in a willow tree and so it just makes all kinds of noise when you you kind of move around it's not my favorite tree harness but um i liked it a little bit better because it's a little bit quieter just just the small things that came into play through my head like i've got to get this right 100 percent if i want to shot at this deer and i finally get into the stand and so a couple things with the stand it's facing the wrong way but it's the only tree in the area that we can hang from and hunt um, because we made it so thick and some of the trees in there are too small to hang from, but you've got this one willow tree that's right there. And if you know, willow, willow trees, they're pretty wide open, not a lot of cover, especially now that we're in the late season, there's not a lot of cover on the tree. So I'm sitting in a ladder stand <clears throat> that's facing the wrong direction. So the, the shot is for a lefty, but I'm a righty. Okay. So picture that. And so to have a shot as he's coming in, I basically have to face the tree, all right? And I've got to stand up kind of away from the tree. So not ideal by any means, but it's what we had to play with and and really what we had to do. Um, So I get in there and not much movement, Um, actually no movement. Um, And probably about 440, um, I catch movement in the bedding area. And he, it's him. He's about 80 yards straight south of me moving west. And he's going into the bedding area. It's kind of the second rut, you know, time frame for Oklahoma. You know, he's locked down with that doe yesterday, but I didn't see him with the doe, you know, 
the next day. And I remember looking at him through the binos, watching him, and like, all right, that's him. But to me, he just he didn't look as big as I, I thought he was. So I'm like, well, he's still an awesome deer, and, you know. And I wait till he gets into the thicket a little bit, and I let out a, a grunt, and I wait, you know, maybe another minute, and I let out another deep, long grunt. And he doesn't reappear. You know, it takes a while. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, for some reason, my phone shut off or my uh, computer uh, went down. Whatever. Um, so, uh, start when you first when you first saw him again. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. You ready? Yep. All right. So I'm sitting there, and it's about four forty, and um, I notice movement off in the the thicket, the the sanctuary, and it's him. He's about eighty yards south of me, moving west. And he's going into that thicket. Uh, I did not notice a doe with him like I did the day before. So my assumption is he's, he's going in to check this bedding and, and try to find another doe. And it's pretty open line of sight in this one specific area. And I wait till I can't see him. And I let out a couple of deep long grunts. Probably didn't need to, knowing that he's probably going to come to the scrape, but it is getting dark, and I figure, well, if, if I can cut the time down, you know, uh, I'll, I'll try to do it and see how he responds. Yeah. And I don't see him for probably 20 to 30 minutes, and then I notice a deer probably about 25 yards um, in front of me. And I say that there's a couple young oak trees there that are still holding their leaves and I could not see directly into that sanctuary. So that ground that he covered, I had no visual on him. And so I see movement down there and, you know, I'm 99% sure it's him, but I I can't see antler or anything yet. And uh, he kind of mills around there for what seemed like five minutes. And uh, I'm just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And he finally kind of moves a little bit to where I can see his antlers and and realize it's him. And he goes back to the West on the main trail. And I'm like, man, come on, you know, you've been hitting the scrape. Why don't you come to the scrape? And as he starts going West again, I turn to where I can try to squeeze a shot off and I kind of duck down a little bit. And how far is he at this point? 20 to 25 yards. Okay. So he, when and, he reappeared, he, he reappeared real close. Absolutely. Okay. And, and fortunately with this stand, with it being set up wrong, the last hour of daylight, I'm standing up regardless. Yeah. I don't wait till I see a deer. I, I position myself where I'm ready. So I was already standing up and in position and he comes out to the trail and I'm kind of ducking down and I'm preparing myself for a shot. Um, you know, facing the tree. And I remember I kind of clanked my, my bow hanger a little bit. Ugh. And that's when I was like, Chris, slow down. You've got to <laughs> slow down. And I, I wasn't nervous, but I was anxious. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, it's been a long time since I've really been nervous before a shot. It usually happens afterward when I really get the shakes. But I just, you know, Chris, slow down, take your time. And I remember thinking, he is coming to this scrape. There's no way. And as soon as he made that first turn uh, to come toward the scrape, I was like, all right, this is it. And, and just a side note, the wind was out of the west, all right? So he was upwind of me and um, at this point. He went into the bedding area going into the wind, and he kind of circled around. And then once he got out um, to the north side of it, he started walking toward me, uh, and he was upwind. Okay. Um, so I think that helped out tremendously as well. And at this point, he's walking down the trail at 13 yards. And, again, it's really where the stand is. is kind of wide open, but it's the only tree we have. Yeah. And – there's a little bush in front of me. And as soon as his eyes got behind that bush, it's when I drew as quiet <laughs> as I could. And again, I wasn't nervous, but the last three and a half years and all the work and effort, it, it kind of sank in, yeah. I guess. And it kind of, you know, I don't want to say flash before my eyes, but that's all I could think about was it all comes down to this. Yeah. And I stop him and shoot him at 13 yards. Ooh. And it, it just, after all these years of never seeing him and then to have him at 13 yards, I just, I could not believe it. Did Was the heart pumping? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Now I did hit him a little bit high, higher than I wanted to. The, the shot angle was steep and, and, um, you know, I, I thought I was focused on the shot and I should have hit a little bit lower, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah. Um, what was your initial was reaction that, on that shot? Did you say, was it a, Oh shit. I hit him high, bad gut feeling, or was it, whew, I hit him high, but I still got both lungs? It was, I hit him high, but he's pumping blood out. Okay. So I should be fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, it, he ran away. The arrow didn't go all the way through. I think he hit that backside shoulder. And, um, you know, as he ran away, I just remember that arrow just hitting trees as he would <laughs> run away. Yeah. And that nocturnal being lit up, and um, but I did see blood at first impact, and as he was running away, so I'm like, okay, well at least we're gonna have a good blood trail. Gotcha. So how and, long? Uh, how long until he disappeared? How far? Um, well, about that 80 yards. That again, that was in that one little area. I could see about 80 yards in gotcha. there with all the leaves down off the trees, and uh, that's when he disappeared. And I listened and listened, and uh, I did hear a crash, but. You know, just because you hear a crash doesn't mean that's where he's laying either. So, yeah. Um, what I did at that point was I immediately messaged my brother and my friend uh, that helped us shed hunt. We got a group text message going on, and I said, Jeff, you need to get out here. And uh, it was kind of, they're like, you know, no way. Did that really happen? And I said, yes, get out here. And, uh, Jeff said, I'll be there, you know, in 15 minutes, which it's like a 45 minute drive for him. So I said, well, <laughs> slow down, you know, take your time. Don't get in a wreck. <laughs> and, um, I texted my wife and told her, and then I called my coworker and brother-in-law. And, um, I remember them saying, all right, I'll be there in a little bit. And I was kind of like, well, you know, you don't have to, it's not. And they said, no, we're coming. <laughs> I said, okay. And, um, fortunately 
I didn't have to wear those stupid waders back to the house because I just took the main trail and went back to the house. Yeah. And uh, because he had ran, you know, the opposite direction and all that. So I snuck out and went to my dad's house and sat there and waited on, on the crew to show up. And it wasn't an hour and a half later after the shot till we finally went in. And uh, I wanted to be a little bit safe just because I knew I'd hit him high, but um, I knew there's pretty good blood as well. So you and how many people were on this blood trail with you? Um, I think, let's see, my dad, my brother, my brother-in-law, <clears throat> co-worker, and one of my dad's friends. Okay. So, All right, so you had uh, a whole crew yeah. coming after this deer. Um, <laughs> you guys, uh, you, you mentioned there was real good blood. Uh, did it take you long at all to find the blood trail? or? No, it was really good blood um, right at first, and we followed it a good ways. Actually found the arrow kicked out about 30 or 40 yards and continued to find blood um, all the way through. Now, toward the end, it started getting a little bit spotty. Yeah. Um, I think because that, that shot was kind of high, it, you know, it started filling up that cavity a little bit yep. and um, just wasn't pumping as much. You know, it was all kind of draining inside the body. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there there's a few people that knew how special this deer was, and uh, they they wanted to be a part of it. And uh, you know, I can't thank them enough for for being out there to to help out with the recovery. Right. Um, so you find the buck, and when you go, this is my one of my favorite questions to ask. What was what was your emotions? What was your feelings as you bent over and picked his head up for the first time? Uh, just shock and, and disbelief. And he ran maybe 130 yards and we, the blood actually kind of trickled out toward the end and, um, they kind of grid searched a little bit after that, but, but we didn't want to mess the blood up. So, um, my coworker said, Hey, let's regroup here and we'll spread out. And so I'm on my hands and knees and my brother was the first to see him. He kind of went on you know, a little ways and ended up seeing him and he wasn't too much further from where he saw the last blood. And, um, I'll never forget. I'm on my hands and knees looking at the ground and he said, Hey, why don't you come look over here? I think we're going to try to spread out. And, uh, it didn't click yet. And then finally someone else said the same thing. And I just remember thinking, shut up. You guys are, <laughs> you know, you're kidding me. <laughs> and I remember my brother saying, Chris, he is absolutely huge. Yeah. And, uh, and he, we went up there and I grabbed a hold of him and it was just pure shock. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest bow kill, um, was back in 2006 and he grossed 107 inches and I've passed up bucks for 13 years waiting on that one buck. And, and what I mean by that is I've seen a lot of, 110 120 inch deer and to me that just was not going to be satisfying enough and you know there's plenty of those that need to be shot for the meat um that i do shoot and uh but with this project going on in our small property it just to me was not going to cut it i wanted to see what we could do yeah and um so for 13 years i did not shoot a buck um, that's the crazy thing and uh this year a uh, little side story on that North property. I actually killed my number two hit lister. He grossed 132. And um, that was just a shock as well. 
um, killed him during muzzleloader season. But, so um, you went 13 years without shooting a buck. That's correct. Even even during gun season. Even during gun season, and a lot of it too has to deal with the property you hunt. Yep, you absolutely, know, absolutely. I'm I'm not blessed with you know a lot of land really until this year uh, to go roam around on and. I, I'm starting to get into the public land hunting a little bit more. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of time constraints and work constraints. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. I kind of uh, go hunt. Um, my uncle had some land for, for a while that I would go hunt, but he had several people hunting it. And, um, you know, it just didn't always work out like you had hoped for. Yeah. So, well, that's um, awesome, I passed man. Up a lot of, yeah, I passed up a lot of young deer, a lot of, small deer too so right and i I tell Um, you what um i'm a firm believer in shoot whatever you makes you happy right if you're if 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 shooting a spike buck or a fork horn buck makes you happy then by all means go go shoot it but i think we can learn a lot from what you've done here and passing all these deer uh, and even though it was 13 years of you know, if you're if you're a rack hunter, and what I mean by that is, if you're someone who values inches of antlers, um, then and and getting an older age class of deer, then I think we can all learn a lesson here that sometimes you have to sacrifice. You don't necessarily have to not kill anything because you've you went you said you killed several does in this 13 year period, but mm-hmm. working with what you have and uh, sacrificing, I guess, antlers in the long term led to you shooting a buck that I'm going to say 95% of the people in hunters in America will never shoot. Um, right. And and that's that all that sacrifice paid off. So congratulations, uh, man. Awesome story. Um, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to share this with us. And uh, good luck on upcoming seasons man thank you dan i appreciate you having me on and being able to tell the story it it surely means a lot to to tell the story and and again let everyone know that the weekend warrior type can get it done absolutely it takes hard work and patience and a little bit of beating your head against the wall but uh you you can make it work on on small ground absolutely absolutely Well, man, uh, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you when we talk to you. All right. Thank you very much, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout-out to Chris for taking time to share his story of a giant buck out of Oklahoma. Appreciate that. Huge shout-out to the partners of this podcast, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Ripcord Arrow Rests, Wasp Archery, Ozonic Scent Elimination, and Prime Archery. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because when you do that, they can support me and, uh, you know, it all comes full circle. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen, follow along, follow on social. Please continue to do that, man. That makes me happy and uh, hopefully what I'm doing here makes you guys happy as well and you can learn a little bit uh, from the content that I'm putting out. Other than that, man, it's a good day. Get outside. Every day is a good day to get outside. Take a walk. Get some fresh air. Enjoy Mother Nature. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Safety harness.